So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture today. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 18. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 28 and Numbers chapter 6. So you might have to stick your finger in number 6. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, you can uh, look in the bulletin. It's printed there on page 6. There's a place to take notes there on page 7. So I'm going to read Matthew 28 first and then read Numbers chapter 6. Listen, this is God's holy word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Then number six, verses 22 to 27. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is God's word. Well, I want to ask a question of all of you. What is your purpose in life? Think about that. Is there an overarching idea that governs everything that you do? Think about that. Is there something about you? Is there a guiding light, a a magnet or a tractor beam that keeps everything that you do sort of focused in one area? There are so many things that vie for that place in our lives and our hearts, right? So many things that compete for our attention today. Career. There are people who live for their career. They just want to get ahead and they will govern everything around and sacrifice everything else to get ahead in their career. There are some people who live for their appearance. Their appearance is the thing that they live for. It's it's their guiding light. Everything that they do revolves around them looking good enough or looking good. For others, it's relationships. It could just be pleasure or, or recreation. All these things call us. They sort of shout out to us and they ask us to live for them. For Christians... The Bible says that, the, that our purpose in life is to know and live for God. Okay? It's to know and live for God. Jesus said in John 17, 3, let me tell you what eternal life is. Let me tell you what the best possible life there is that you could possibly live. It's this, to know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Jesus says that our purpose in life is to know and live for God. And God wants you to to keep, he wants to continually remind you of that purpose. God wants you to be aware and reminded of your ultimate purpose every week. 
Every week he has put something in our worship service to remind you that your purpose is to know God and to live for him. It's the benediction. Okay, that final act of our worship service. The last part of our Sunday service is God's commission. Okay, God is commissioning us. He called us, he cleansed us, he constituted us his people, he communed with us, then he commissions us. And in that commission, in the benediction, God is reminding us of our true purpose in life. He's reminding you of who you are to be and what you are to do Monday through Saturday. Okay, and this benediction, this commission from God, it comes both from Jesus. This is the great commission in Matthew 28. And it also comes from the Old Testament in number six. And so in the benediction every week, you get three things. There's three things that come to you every time the pastor raises his hands and pronounces the benediction. Okay, so if you want to take notes, let me give them to you. You get three things from the benediction. You get God's purpose, God's favor, and God's presence. God's purpose, his favor, and his presence. So let's see first. You get God's purpose. Matthew 28, 19. Here it is, the overarching purpose, the, the commission, your mission in life, granted to you by Jesus himself. Verse 19 is to go and make disciples of all nations. Did you know that was your purpose? I mean, if you didn't, it's okay, that's why we're here, right? We open up different parts of the Constitution every Sunday. And we look and we learn, oh, okay, maybe I didn't know this. Or, you know what, I forgot about that. I think I, I, I remember being convinced of that at one point, and I, I've, I've sort of let that go. Jesus is saying this is your commission. This is your purpose in life. It's to make disciples of all the nations. Well, what's a disciple? We have a discipleship brochure, two of them actually, that describe discipleship. Let me just read you a little piece of that. A disciple is a learner or an apprentice. And in the church, disciples are those who are learning how to follow Jesus in each and every area of their lives. You disciple someone else when you help them learn how to follow Jesus. So to go and make disciples means to help other people to learn about and follow Jesus. In fact, being a disciple includes making disciples. So discipleship happens through relationships as people spend time with each other and with Christ. And so this means that to be a disciple, you need to have a growing love for Christ, a growing love for his church, and a growing love for the world. That's what a disciple is. Now, making disciples involves really three things. We see these things in our text. It's evangelism, baptism, and teaching. So it's evangelizing, baptizing, and teaching. Um, So evangelism is first. Jesus commissions you. Part of your purpose in life is to tell other people about him. Okay, that's part of your purpose in life. Um, Rick Warren, who's the pastor of Saddleback, said this in this way that I've heard it once. I've never forgot it. He says, there's two things that you can do here on earth that you can't do in heaven. He says, you ever wonder why God doesn't just he save, him, save you and bring you up to heaven? He says, well, there's two things you can do here that you can't do there. Sin and tell people about Jesus who don't know him. 
And then he asks, which do you think God has left you on earth to do? It's good, right? Which, why else, which of those two things do you think God left you here to do? The answer is pretty obvious. He left you here so that you might carry on the mission. God, Jesus commissions you to make disciples, to tell their people about him. A couple of examples of this. Mark eight, in Mark chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, Jesus healed a man who had been possessed by demons. And this man wanted Jesus. He begged Jesus to, to stay with him. He wanted to stay with Jesus, but Jesus didn't permit it and said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. That's for you. Part of your purpose. Go home and tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. John 9, this is one of my favorites. Uh, they called a man who had been, he was born blind and Jesus healed him. And there were folks that didn't like Jesus. And so they grabbed a hold of this guy and were trying to convince this guy that Jesus was awful. Jesus was rotten. Jesus was, and, and they said, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, he's just a sinner. And here's the response. This blind man, he's standing before these powerful religious authorities and they're accusing Jesus. And there he is. He's sort of crushed under the weight and the pressure Right? What does he say? He says, well, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, and now I see. Hallelujah. If that is the sum total of what you tell people about Jesus, that is enough. Tell people what the Lord has done for you. I was blind, and now I see. What has God done in your life? I want you to think about that. What have you experienced recently because you've been following Jesus? You know, write down, write it down. Even if you can think of something right now, in the last 6 to 12 months, what are some things that Jesus has done in your life? Has he given you comfort? Has he given you peace? Has he changed you? Has he changed your attitude about something? Right? Has he caused you to live differently? Write that stuff down. <clears throat> for me, um, just one example, I've become more patient. I've become less angry, uh, mostly at home, <clears throat> less and more understanding of my wife and my kids and their needs. And it's great because um, it was Thursday. We were cleaning up, and cleaning up is usually a real bad time for me where I can get really frustrated because children don't clean up fast enough, at least in least for me, you know, and, um, and it was amazing because we've been cleaning up for hours. We've been working, trying to deal with the garage. And, uh, and Amanda came over and said, daddy, I've noticed that lately you don't get as mad at us when we clean up as you used to. And I said, well, Amanda, thank you for saying that. Um, I've been praying about this a lot. I've been asking God to give me patience and to change my heart. And that's what's happening. If you're struggling with being more patient, Jesus has helped me become more patient. I'm not perfect. I still struggle with being frustrated sometimes. I still get angry sometimes, but I'm getting better. 
Like Jesus is working the power of his spirit into my life and he can do the same thing for you. Sharing what Jesus has done in your life, boy, it's one of the best ways to share with someone else, right? Because it's, it's not as obnoxious. It's not as in your face. What you're doing is you're telling somebody else, look, here's what G- Jesus has done for me and I know he can do this for other people. It's, it's, a, it's sort of an implicit invitation, for other people to experience. You know, we all are, we have the, you know, we all have a, a, a religious perspective or a non-religious perspective. And a lot of times evangelism can be very much, you know, where two people are arguing back and forth. And there's a place for that. There are answers and, and evidence to talk about if people have questions about Christianity. But what seems to me is, can be much more powerful is just to be able to tell someone else, look, here's what works for me. This is what Jesus does in my life. Here's how knowing him makes a difference for me. I think he might be able to help you too. You see the difference there in the feel? You're not pushing it on someone else. You're inviting them to understand your faith and to be blessed by it. And so that's the evangelism piece. All of us, we need to be looking and, and telling people about Jesus. We need to be looking for opportunities to tell people what God has done for us, what he's doing in us. Now, when people respond and trust Jesus, then there's two ways to continue the process of discipleship, right? It starts with evangelism, and then it goes to baptism and teaching. Okay, so baptizing, verse 19, Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, when they commit to Jesus, then you bring them to church so that they can be identified with God's family because they've become a child of God, so welcome to the family. I mean, introduce you to your brothers and your sisters, right? Let's make sure that you don't feel like you have to do this alone because it's hard. <laughs> it can get difficult. And so baptism is a chance for someone to publicly declare your faith in Jesus. Where you stand up and say, I was blind and now I see where you say, I am committed to following Jesus in my life. Baptism shows that the, the reality that you've come into contact with the good news of Jesus, that you have Jesus on you and you have him in you. That's what baptism is. And then that third piece is teaching, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So a disciple, like we said before, it's a learner. He, he or she's a follower of Jesus. As Christians, you are committing to follow Jesus, to learn from him, and that's a lifelong process, okay? You can't learn it all. As much as some of us, you know, just, oh, I wish I knew the whole thing, right? I remember, I remember sitting in college in, in a sermon and thinking, man, I wish I knew how much, I wish I knew as much as this pastor knew. You know, I, I thought, I wish I could have in my mind all at once the teaching of every book of the Bible. Like, I just wish I understood the whole thing, you know, and... But it's like eating an elephant. You know, it's one bite at a time, right? You got to start somewhere, right? And so don't be discouraged. So, but so it's, it's a lifelong learning process, okay? Here, here a little, there a little, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. The goal is to grow in our understanding of what Jesus teaches, what he has taught us. And so we learn that. We never stop learning. And we need to keep teaching each other what Jesus has commanded That's how we grow as disciples, and it's how we help others grow. We teach each other what Jesus has commanded. And so this is your purpose. 
if you're a Christian. This is the purpose of every Christian. The benediction sends you out with that purpose. Okay, we don't always quote that verse in our benediction, but in some way what we're telling you is, you are a Christian, now go be one. Right? We're giving you different ways to look at your commission, your mission in life, your purpose. And so it's important to recognize it's your purpose. Like all of you, if you're Christians, need to own that purpose. Okay? Some churches, um, they pay the pastor to preach. They pay the pastor to save the lost and to build up the church. And I found one quote this week that just said this. It was so simple. How much faster would churches grow? How much stronger and happier would church members be if each of us were discipling one another? You know, we all want to feel like we matter to somebody. We all want to feel like we're making a difference. We all want to feel like we're known and loved and understood. If you take on the role and the purpose of being a disciple maker, all of that is yours because you're making a difference in someone else's life. You're helping someone else understand what Jesus has commanded. You're helping someone else understand how to follow Jesus. There's huge significance in that. You are taking the baton that Jesus is handing you and you're running with it. In 2 Timothy 2.2, it says this. Paul says, What you, Timothy, heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I love that verse because you got four generations. Okay? You got Paul to Timothy. So one, two. What you, Timothy, have heard from me. So from Paul to Timothy, entrust to faithful men, third generation, who will be able to teach others also. That's a fourth generation. In one verse, you got four generations. That's the goal. My job as a pastor is to spend time sitting at Paul's feet, learning from Paul so that I can entrust to you what Paul gives, what, what, what the Lord teaches me through Paul so that you can teach each other. Okay, I'm not the primary spiritual health or primary spiritual caregiver of the church. Okay, my job is to equip you so that you can care for each other, so you can disciple each other, make a difference in each other's lives by asking people, how are you doing? By encouraging each other in terms of knowing what Jesus has commanded us. Like, what has he done for us? That's how it works. And so, at the end of every service, when you see the upraised hands, you need to realize, when you hear the words pronounced over you, Jesus is commissioning you. He is sending you out. He is reminding you of your purpose. And the question is, will you accept it? Will you take on that purpose? So, when I have the privilege of hearing someone else do the benediction, right, when I'm not doing it myself... I will usually, you can do this if you want. I think it's just, it, it visually enter, helps me enter into that moment. I put my hands out like this, okay? Because I want to receive it. I want to receive the, the benediction, okay? And so I put my hands out and I'm listening. And when the benediction's over, I kind of do this. Because I'm saying, yes, Jesus, I, I'm hearing and I'm following. And I will, take this, I will take this mission and I will go forth with it. So I'd invite you, I mean, if you like that physical act, please do it. If you don't, you know, do it in your heart. 
Do it in your heart. But that's, that's the point. In the benediction, we get God's purpose. Our second point is that you get God's favor. You get God's favor. Here we have, uh, look at the verse 27 of number 6. In this way, when Aaron and his sons, those are the priests, when they pronounce this blessing, in another passage we see that they raise their hands to do it. This is the benediction that God is saying. He says, this is how they'll put my name on the people of Israel. So I'll bless them. Um, We see that in this passage where God is saying the benediction is designed to put my name on the people. We see it in Matthew 28 in verse 19 where Jesus says, when you go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, God's name changes from the Old Testament to the New. Lord, with all capitals, is the English translation of the name of God in the Old Testament. That was God's name, the name he went by. Um, That was his name in the Old Testament. That was the name that was put on the people. Now, the name of the one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we believe in one God, and that one God has revealed himself in three ways. He's revealed himself as our Father, as the Son of the Father, who is our brother, and as the Holy Spirit, as the presence inside of us that we need um, to give us the strength to follow him. And so what does it mean that God puts his name on you? Think about that. What does that mean? In this way, they'll put my name on the people. Really, it just it means God's saying, you are mine. So he's saying, you are mine. He's saying, I love you. You are my people and I am your God. I am your father and you are my children. In a sense, putting the name on, it's almost like giving us a last name. You know, we're members of the same family. Stephen Cooper, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Sunil, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Dana, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I mean, we are all, we all receive the name of God and God is putting his name on you in the benediction. That's what he's doing. And with that, that means that you have God's favor because you're in his family. How does he treat his kids? Look at verse 24 of number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. That means that God fills your life with goodness and abundance. He protects you. It means God watches over you. He gives you shade during the day and light at night. And what that does is that gives us peace and comfort. It gives us strength and courage. And then verse 25, the Lord's face, he makes his face shine upon you. In the benediction, God's face shines upon you. Do you know what that means? I mean, I almost don't want to talk about it because it just sounds so cool. Right? The explanation better be better than, the, uh, than just hearing the phrase, right? Otherwise, you ruin it. Um, God so delights in you that his face beams when he looks at you. That's how God feels. When he sees you, when he turns around and looks at you, you know, you have that image, God's face, or maybe it's sometimes when, when you turn and look at him, 
What do you see on his face? He's beaming. He is beaming. He smiles. He is affirming you. And you know why? It's because when God sees you, he sees what is right and good in you. When he sees you, he sees sees the real you. It's the you that he intends you to be. That's what he sees. And in the benediction, when God's face is shining toward you, God is calling that real you forth. Okay? And so if you struggle, if if you don't feel like, if you feel like all you can see are, are the things that God didn't intend, then that's why you look. Okay, the benediction is not a prayer. You don't close your eyes. You look at the pastor and hear him speak for God so that you can see God's face shining on you. It's a reminder of what God sees. That's the affirmation that we need to follow the purpose, right? I mean, you think about that. In order to take God's purpose, we need to have God's favor, right? We need to know. It's not just that God is sending us out to do stuff and we don't think we're up for it. God gives us his favor and his blessings and his assurance and his affirmation because he's saying, in Jesus, you are able to follow this purpose. And that's why, I mean, uh, boy, there's so many pieces of this. You know, the benediction happens on what day of the week? Sunday. So the first day of the week, you get God's favor. Do you know what that means? That means that your receiving of God's favor isn't dependent on how well you do Monday through Saturday. Okay? You get the benediction first. God sends you out with his benediction first so that you'll be assured of his favor and his affirming smile, that you'll be assured of his affirmation so that you can live for him Monday through Saturday. We're not earning the blessings of God. We live for God because we have the blessings. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. We don't earn God's favor by our obedience to the commission we are able to obey the commission because we have God's favor already. That's good news. And we've got to ask the question, like, how is it that God can do this? I mean, how can he just, does he just ignore the stuff that's in us? Does he ignore all that stuff and just act like it's not there when we know pretty, pretty darn well what, stuff we've done that hasn't been worthy of what God wants from us? Well, it's interesting. Um, I mean, this is just another piece of it that in our passage in Matthew 28, you look at verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus still gave them all the benediction. How comforting is that? Some of the disciples of Jesus who saw him raised from the dead were still struggling with doubts. It seems like if Jesus could accept them with their doubts, how much more 
will he accept you with yours? How much more will he accept you even with the things that you do that don't fit his purpose in your life? And that's good news. Verse 17 is really comforting when you feel like you don't measure up. That you can come to Jesus with doubts and all. Doubts, sins, nothing keeps you away. And when we ask the question how, like how exactly is it that God can do this? That's what brings us to the cross. You know, if you think about the benediction and the cross, the cross is the exact opposite of the benediction. So if you want to know how it is that God can look at you and have his face shine upon you, if you wonder how God can look at you and pronounce his purpose and his favor on you, the answer is the cross. Did God the Father bless and keep Jesus on the cross? No. He handed Jesus over to those who hated him and wanted to kill him. Did God the Father make his face shine upon Jesus on the cross? No, he poured out his wrath and his punishment on Jesus for sin. Did God the Father lift up his countenance upon Jesus and give him peace? No. He turned his face away from Jesus to the point that Jesus cried out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven for the first time in all eternity, there was no answering light from the face of God. Folks, at that moment, Jesus was suffering for your sins. At that moment, Jesus was taking the curse and the punishment that your sins deserve, that your faithlessness deserves, that your times when you've ignored God and his ways, when you have thwarted his purpose and ignored his purpose, on the cross, Jesus was paying the penalty for your sins. And because of that, that is why God can say to you, forgiven. That's why God can, with outstretched hands, look down upon you and smile and say, forgiven, cleansed, now recommissioned, go and be my people because you have my favor. I am still putting my name on you. Boy, that makes me want to follow Jesus right there by itself. I mean, that's the favor that we need to fulfill the Great Commission. And this is what we tell people about, right? This is the mercy that God has shown us. This is what God has done for us that we share with others. I mean, how could we not? How proud of you? How proud, well, how proud of you is God? Because he looks at you and he beams in his face. But then how proud of you, how proud of Jesus are you? that he would do this for you, that he would reconcile you with God. Boy, how many people do you know that really need to hear that? That God is standing with open arms, with satisfaction and significance in one hand, with peace and assurance in the other. And we think career, we think appearance, we think a relationship is going to do it for us. And God is saying, no, you come this way. If you really want to know life, come to the cross. 
and I'll give it to you. That's where we get God's favor. And then our last point is that we get God's presence. We get God's presence. Verse 20, in Matthew 28, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if you become a Christian, if you take on this purpose, if you go forth with this commission, Jesus goes with you. He's with you. So that means you have comfort, right? He is with you. You can stop at any moment in your life and connect with him. You can pray. Jesus, I'm having a hard time. Jesus, this doesn't make sense. Jesus, I need wisdom. Jesus, I'm trying to follow you and I'm failing. You can go to Jesus at any moment. He is with you. He stands ready to hear you. And so his presence means comfort, but it also means power. Because you have him with you in your commission. Look at verse 18. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's got the authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. You know what that means? That means you can follow and obey him without fear. Okay? Because he will be with you no matter what happens. It's this confidence that would convince someone to drive eight hours and to try to go rescue somebody from an abusive pimp. Putting themselves in physical danger, going into an environment that they don't know. Right? Jesus is with you. You can obey him without fear. He will protect you. And if something bad happens, quote-unquote bad, then God is working out his good purpose in your life and he will draw you closer and closer and closer to him the worse things get. And so even when things fall apart, those are invitations to enjoy a deeper relationship with him. And so it works both ways. And so this benediction, this presence of Jesus, it's not just cozy assurance. It's also equipment for mission. It's equipment for mission because God is in the habit of blessing us so that we would be a blessing to others. Okay, that's how it works. And a great illustration of this, it's the land of Israel, right? If you think about the nation of Israel, there's these two bodies of water. Okay, there's the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee, it teems with life. There's over 24 different kinds of fish that live there. There's this vast, lush vegetation around the banks of the Sea of Galilee. There's animals that make their nests on its banks. It's beautiful. Okay? There is a fishing economy that has, that, that, that's kept alive because of the life that the Sea of Galilee teems with. But then the Dead Sea, it's just that. It's dead. It's 1,400 feet below sea level. Nothing lives in it. No fish, no plants, no animals. Both of these water, both these bodies of water are fed by the Jordan River. The Jordan River starts up north, it comes south into the Sea of Galilee, out of the Sea of Galilee, into the Dead Sea, right? The same water is going in. And yet, one is a fountain of life, and the other is death. 
What's the difference? The difference is that the Sea of Galilee has water that flows into it and water that flows out. The Dead Sea has water that flows in, but nothing ever goes out. It's so low, it's so far below sea, nothing else, no river flows from it. You get it? Part of Jesus commissioning us is so that we would team with life. And part of the way that life and vitality come forth from us is when we bless others. As we fulfill this great commission, as we receive the benediction, and in that the purpose and the favor and the presence of Christ, we are being sent out to bless others. We are being sent out so that we would pour out for others, that we would serve other people, that we would care for each other in the church, that we would care for the folks around us who don't know Jesus, right? It's about loving, it's loving the church and loving the world. And when we do that, life, (laughs) Jesus in us, his presence in us says that it becomes a fountain of life, a well of water that is ever springing, that's ever flowing that never, ever stops. That is abundant life. That is a life of satisfaction. That is a life of happiness. That is a life not where everything's going well, but when you are convinced that you are part of what God is doing in the world. That's what Jesus sends us out for every week in the benediction. He's putting his name on you, reminding you of your purpose, and reminding you that he goes with you. Let's pray together. Jesus, this is amazing. I know in my own life, for so long, I listened to benedictions and had no clue what was going on, had no clue that the significance of them. And we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you call us to this purpose. You know what really satisfies. You know what really can make us happy, and you know what can't. And so you guide and direct us. You give us a purpose, and we thank you for that. We thank you that your favor comes not because of what we do, but because of what you've done for us. And Jesus, would you help us to receive that purpose? Help us to receive your purpose to experience your favor, and to go with your presence. Help us to pour out our lives, to be committed to serving others, to spend time even today starting to serve so that tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday can be characterized in part by us serving. That's where life comes from, Jesus. That's what we want to experience. And Jesus, there are folks here who haven't yet committed to you. They're not yet your disciples. Boy, would you convince them that this is the pathway that leads to life? Draw near to them. Help them to see that your favor is available if they would just confess their sins and come to the cross. Receive your forgiveness so that they might receive your favor. And we'll give you the glory. We pray in your name. Amen.